I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to the PowerCat podcast, gopowercat.com's Kansas State Athletics show. Make sure you're subscribing to our show at Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, from the GPC studios, here's your host, Go Power Cat publisher, Tim Fitzgerald. Welcome to another edition of the Power Cat podcast brought to you by Fridge Wholesale Liquor. I am Tim Fitzgerald, of course, and to my left is Zach Carlson. Across the studio from me is Cole Midnight Carmody, and to his side is Ryan Two Packs a Day Gilbert. <laughs> mm. The poor guy has allergies. He comes into this dog ridden. Horrible, dusty environment we call our home, and he slowly dies. He's going to ask the questions today, and he's going to sound like that ant we all had that smoked way too much. So, Contra can't ask. I really try not to laugh because that will make me just cough my brains out. <laughs> Again, we are sponsored by The Fridge. Make sure you stop into The Fridge whenever you are in Manhattan. And our segment sponsors are Tanner's and the High Low. I would imagine we will be eating at Tanner's a little bit later, possibly. We might go somewhere else. Hey, we've got a lot of friends in Aggieville. We might as well see them sometimes. But make sure... Whenever you're in town, you're supporting our local businesses. They're very important to us. They're very important to this community. And they are an integral part of what makes Manhattan awesome. That was my high-pitched voice. We get a lot of questions about David Shaw, I understand. And I, I kind of feel bad because I've been putting off doing my daily delivery about it. And I finally recorded it. And it goes up tomorrow. Well, today. It, we're taping on Tuesday. And you'll hear this on Wednesday. So maybe I'll contradict myself. But I did it late at night, so I don't really know what I said either, Zach. Zach, can you tell when I have no idea what I'm talking about and I'm just talking on my daily deliveries? Uh, rarely. My, my Kelly Stewart one required 19 takes. Mm. Uh, honestly, and I don't even think the one we put up was that great. It no. Was, <laughs> it was just I, I couldn't get through it without losing my you-know-what. I. Yeah. Kept raining it back in. And I would just get into the middle, like I'd get two minutes in. And so I'm almost done and I need to wrap it up. And then my mind would go, ah, nah, nah, nah. I don't know. She'll be fine. She, if you miss it, she was supposed to be the life of its guest this week. But um, her agent called and said, Hey, so and so would like an exclusive podcast with you. And I've got news for everyone. We're a big deal, but we're not that big. Not as big as that guy. You made it sound like the agent called you. Ah. Saying, saying, nah, we're going bigger time. Yeah. No. They, when she was coming back, uh, she was out of town and she was flying back into Vegas and she landed and said, hey, my agent called and said, that's, by the way, that's a sentence I'd like to say and not have it be Jay Heydrich. Yeah. <clears throat> nah, you know, call my agent. So-and-so wants to 
to the podcast, and I think she's going to end up with a job out of it. So I said, go for it, sister. And Cody Cook stepped in and was absolutely awesome. Good dude, man. Good dude. But his his accent kind of sounds like he's from a really small town in rural Kansas, not from Lewisburg, which is like 15 minutes from Overland Park. Yes. It's a small town. It is a small town. And like I said in the podcast, what a great way to grow up. You yeah. get all the benefits of small town. You get to play 4A sports, which is, I think, the best size to play. Except I mean, they have to play Bishop Miege every year now. Yeah, that kind of sucks. Because, I mean, you get this wide variety of smallish schools and bigger schools. but And you got like a full serving, like 64 schools in the Mm-hmm. But anyhow, and then you can just drive to Kansas City. I mean, I'm not going to fault people for living in Lewisburg. They're soon to be 20 minutes from a Whataburger. Mm-hmm. Not us, Zach. Not us. We don't even have an in and out. We got a five guys. I don't even know those guys either. Well, anyhow, I finally got a text back from a buddy. I texted like a week ago. Sometimes do you send texts and when they don't respond, you feel like, Nobody loves me. All the time. Yeah. That's why I don't respond to you, Cool. Mm, I know. Here we go. Your questions from Wabash Station and two packs a day has got your questions. Oh, my um, God. He looks like he's going to just die at any moment. Fingers crossed. You know what? Uh, I would like to put a filter on your voice throughout this. Like one of those people that talks to their throat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Give me some auto tune. I could yeah. really use it. Yeah. We all could. I hope you last longer than the Royals pitcher last night making his debut. Oh, that poor guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm actually killing it in Omaha. Welcome to Kansas City. Send him down to Idaho, right? Oh, my God. <laughs> I didn't know Idaho was part of the team anymore. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> From Awint25, how big of a turning point game is Stanford this fall? I'm thinking of it like Mississippi State in 19. 19- Miami in 11 or UCLA in 10, a game that can help reestablish the program on a national level. I think Cole might have to do the question. Oh, my God. You can barely breathe. (laughs) He didn't last longer than two-thirds of an inning. (laughs) Holy cow. This poor guy can't breathe. Um, It's huge. I think it's huge. This game is absolutely enormous for the program. And, you know, it's never just about the season when you're talking about these things. I mean, it's really important to the season. There's no doubt about it. Getting off to a good start, um, getting through that non-conference at 3-0 is huge. It's really going to help establish the program, though. If you go down there and not just win, but kind of take care of business and mop it up and come back and start winning games, you start to get this sense of momentum within the program, not just within the team in the context of 2021, but within the program. And right now, because of the way last year ended and the whole pandemic and just everything going on, you know, for a second year program, now a third year program, it just feels like it, there's a sense of urgency in the air. And I don't know if it's a false sense or a real sense, but it, it's lingering there, Cole. I think what's interesting is if this game was being played in Manhattan, I think it would almost be more of a, a turning point game. And I don't know if them moving the game to Dallas, you know, kind of takes a little bit more of the pressure off of the players. But I still think the turning point is there. And, and you know, you're, you're 100% correct when you say that this is huge. I mean, 
I love the comparison to Miami because um, Stanford traditionally has been very good, but you know they're they're not supposed to be as good this year. They haven't been as good in the past. If you think back to those Miami teams, it was kind of the same thing. They weren't exactly the same Miami team that everybody thought of, but the name brand was still there. So I think that that comparison is spot on. And you're right. I think if they can just find a way, just I don't even need to think to dominate. If they can just find a way to get out of there with a win and kind of get the momentum rolling and say, hey, not only can we compete in the upper half of the Big 12, but we can compete against teams that are you know very similar to us that aren't in the Big 12. I think that's important. I agree with the Mississippi State comparison because I think this is more of a program thing than a season thing. The Miami game and the UCLA game, I feel like those were turning points for the season. I don't feel that those games were terribly important as a program. You know, looking back at the Miami game, yes, that was a big win, but I don't think that that was, well, maybe a turning point for the next two years, but I feel like those are more season-based. I think that the Stanford game is, you know, if you don't win this game, you go into that murderer's row of, you know, Oklahoma State OU. I don't even remember what the, the exact order is, but you go, realistically, you could lose your first four out of six games and maybe even lose one in Nevada. I mean, this is a critical stretch of games for this program not just the season and especially Chris Kleiman's career as head coach at Kansas state. So I think that this is a huge momentum builder and I see it like the Mississippi state game a little bit. That was a signature win early on in Chris Kleiman's K state career. And it kind of set the tone. Hey, we're coming back. You know, it kind of, it fell off a little bit by the end. It fell off, you know, in 2020, but I think that this is an establishment win, not just for the program, but for Chris Kleiman. You've got to have a few back-to-back, you know, power five wins in the non-con to really not be back. But if you go next year and lose to Missouri, what did this Stanford game even mean if you're going to go back to square one? So I think it's a good, you know, starting point to, you know, getting your your program back to where you want it to be. But like you said, Zach, if you go out and even the next couple of games, Oklahoma State, what does it mean if you lose to those guys? Well, I'll be intrigued to see – the urgency with which the team plays with that game because they did at Mississippi state in 19, they did seem to understand the importance of it and was important. I, I think it helped that team tremendously build the confidence for a bowl game. And in hindsight, that wasn't a great football team, but they knew how to win games. And I think the end of last year and the way everything kind of went South, maybe damaged that confidence, but I'm sensing from talking to people that they're feeling really good about things. Now it's back on track and we'll see. We'll see, but I'm I'm fired up to see, and I'm glad David Shaw is paying attention that he's fired up too. Next question. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Comes from I Like Pickles Cat. Are fans putting way too much emphasis on the Stanford game? I get the feeling a lot of fans will be ready to burn it all down if we don't beat a team that is favored. I'm <clears throat> golly, I'm, I'm infected by Sorry. all of us. I gave you the <clears throat> man the coughs. I'm. I'm dumbfounded that they're favored. Uh, don't they have like three and a half wins as the over-under in Vegas for Stanford this year? Well, I just saw that new book from South Point has K-State at three, wow. which is just ridiculous. This team needs a win. They just lost five in a row. I mean, you can't lose six in a row even if it bridges the gap of a season. Now, you've got to get back on the winning track. And it's not just for the fans. you got to believe it in the locker room. you got to. 
believe where this program is going. When you're a new coach, you have sold a lot of people on this is going to be something special, that you got to be part of this. And if it ever starts to feel like it's fake, you're in big trouble. And if that's in your locker room, you're done, man. So, no, they need to win this game. I think it's important that it's the first game of the season, too. I mean, if if, if they're going down and starting with Southern Illinois and then going down to Texas and playing Stanford, maybe there's not as much emphasis. But starting the season 0-1 compared to 1-0, and it's more than just a game difference. It sets a tone for, you know, we talked about the program in the last question, but it sets a tone for the season as well. I, I think this is as close to a must-win game as you can get for a week one of the season, just because of where the team is at, you know, within the, the current state of not only the program, but because of the schedule this year. Yeah, I feel like it's a must-win. After last season, you know, you got to get that reestablishment for the program, I feel like. And I feel like if you look at those first six games, I feel like K-State's more likely to be, you know, five and one or two or two and four. I don't think there's going to be any middle ground mm-hmm. there. You know, if you lose this Stanford game, I think that it it immediately deflates you. But at the same time, if you win it, that's a huge shot in the arm going into that stretch of tough games to start conference play. And it's a realistic must win. It's not like you got to yeah. go Oklahoma and beat them, but... It's not. It's, it's not like tangible. Playing, yeah. It's not like playing Kentucky in the NCAA tournament, thinking, "Hey, we're just happy to be here in the Sweet 16." Yeah. You know, that's yeah. it's realistic to beat Stanford here. Very. There's also, I think, less pressure on, you know, the team starting off the season with Stanford as opposed to if you start off with Southern Illinois. I mean, how many times have we seen a K State team start off with a team that we know that they should, you know, an FCS school that they should be they should beat in their 25 point favors over, and they barely win, right? And then they kind of just, you know, trudge along through non-conference play and somehow they find themselves at four and two after six games. And you're like, okay, well, where do we go from here? I think knowing that this is going to be Stanford's first game, this is K-State's first game, there's almost going to be more pressure on Stanford because of their recent performances. Um, And I I think that, sure, there's going to be pressure from K-State fans, but I think if these these players should just be going in and playing loose because at this point, what do they have to lose? At the, uh, seriously, what do they have to lose? Very good. Um, next question from Hard Ash. K-State is holding up the Big 12 championship game trophy in December 2021. What happened over the course of the season that made it possible besides the obvious? Won a lot of games. Uh, the defense really came together. I mean, and, and I think also that Skyler had a... Don't touch that cord. Don't. I didn't touch. I touched the the, the desk. Spring. Ding, the ding. spring. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think a lot of things got to fall in place, but mostly I think the defense has to really shore up some areas where I'm concerned. And Skyler's going to have to have a variety of weapons at his fingertips to be able to spread the ball around and run and pass and not take a beating. So it, I think it'd be a really positive sign. Plus, I think K State. If you're going to be successful at K-State, you got to have that special teams magic. So, man, if they start rolling at some point, if they go to 3-0 and 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 win one of those early games and, you know, Oklahoma State or Oklahoma, and it, they could really get going. They really could. Um, but um, I'm, I'm as intrigued by this season and what might take, take place as anyone that I can remember. This is a huge season for the program. 
what I, I think that the main thing for this team this year is who's going to have the breakout year. Because when I wrote that piece on the top 10 players and, you know, of K-State the last 10 years from Kansas, and you go through and you look, and it's these guys that, you know, you realize that they were pretty good, but then you realize, oh, he was a third-team All-American. He was first-team Big 12, and he just kind of jumped up out of nowhere. I mean, who is going to take that leap for K-State? It has to be somebody, and it, it can't be too spawn. It has to be somebody we're not expecting. If K-State wants to have real success, there's going to be, have to be multiple people that step up, reach their potential to what the coaches think that they can be, and actually perform on the field. Is it going to be Malik Knowles? Is it going to be Daniel Amarabebe? Is it going to be Skylar Thompson? I mean, who on that offense, particularly on the offense, is going to step up and have a season that we weren't expecting? I think if you have multiple guys like that on the offense and multiple guys like that on the defense, then it's possible. And it's not out of the realm of possibility, I don't think. I think you need more than just Malik Knowles at wide receiver. I think you need two, three guys, mm -hmm. and I have no clue who's going to step up because I think that's the only way that K-State is going to have a chance. That's where they needed to improve last year. And, you know, hopefully Skyler's good to go, but he needs the tools around him. And like you said, Deuce Vaughn is not going to be enough if he's catching balls out of the backfield. You know, he can do that sometimes, and he needs to have a great season. He can't have a sophomore slump, but it's going to come down to wide receiver, I think. You know, there's there's some holes on defense that, you know, I'm somewhat worried about. But at the same time, I feel like they did a good job last year of, of covering some some spots where there were some question marks. So I'm more confident in the defense taking care of business, you know, without really knowing what's what it's going to look like on Saturdays. But that offense, it, it comes down to wide receiver for me. Mm -hmm. Would you agree that they're better on defense on paper this year than they were last year on paper? Because no, I, you don't I don't think so. Because so. you lose Wyatt Hubert, you lose Justin Hughes, you lose Elijah Sullivan. Yeah, those line those those three were pretty core dudes, and those are some holes that need to be filled. But I feel more confident about mm -hmm. filling those on defense yeah, than I do I'm with, you. with the options at wide receiver. So I'm with you on that. Next question comes from Go Upercat. Unlike Joe Castelloni's whining. I feel David Shaw has a valid point when speaking out <laughs> against the start time of the game in Arlington. I probably just mispronounced Joe's name, so I apologize. You did. But I also <laughs> thought a game right here? billed as the All-State All Kickoff Classic would command airing on Fox, not Fox Sports 1. Is this just Fox guessing no one on the West Coast will watch no matter what time the kickoff is? Or is there something else going on? Uh, well, see, there's a couple of things here that I don't agree with. I... I think if you're on the West Coast, 9 a.m. kickoffs would be awesome. Can you imagine just rolling out of bed? I mean, when I was in Hawaii, I talked to a bartender. I know you're all surprised that I would talk to a bartender. And he was a college football fan. I said, dude, how's that work out here in Hawaii? And he goes, well, you don't you don't drink on Fridays, I can tell you that, because you got to wake up at 6 a.m. or whatever it is for those early kickoffs. And he goes, but the other side of that is you watch football all daylight. And then by the time it's night here, it's all done. Like, that's pretty cool. That's that's all right. So I, I don't think the 11 a.m. thing is that big a deal. I just think there's some pushback from all of us who would prefer a 2.30. You know what I mean? Two, uh, 1 o'clock, 2.30, that's the best time. But 11 a.m. time slots have great value. I mean, we don't see it that way. 
but maybe you understand it a little bit more after the pandemic when you were at home watching sports instead of going to the game. If you're at home watching sports, those 11 a.m. kicks are amazing. Now, see, I'm an advantage if K-State has a 2.30 kick here in Manhattan or, you know, a 3 or 4 o'clock, whatever time, mid-afternoon kick. I can sit at home. I'm a half mile from the stadium and watch a bunch of football before I even go over to the bill. So uh, I think 11 a.m. kicks are really viewer-friendly. But I also think that weekend has enough good games that they weren't going to get a main slot. We just underestimate that. Plus, I'm, I'm going to say it, Stanford does not have a big following. It, it doesn't. We all think of Stanford as something, but most of their fans don't give two craps about football. If they're really good, they give craps. I mean, they're kind of very fair-weather friends. There's a lot of things to do out in that area. A lot of people go to Stanford for reasons other than they actually go to Stanford for academics, folks. I mean, you know, I mean, they go there and they have a thousand sports programs, so they probably have a really diced-up fan base. I imagine Stanford has golf fans. I would imagine Stanford has swimming fans. They're all sports that they're really good in. Um, so, uh, I don't know. Stanford's just a weird place. It's a weird, weird culture for someone out of the Big 12, Big 10, SEC background. It is completely different. And I think the TV entities recognize that this is not going to be a big viewership show. And it's not like Stanford fills their stadium when they're good. No. Mm-hmm. No, the people don't. They have a huge stadium for what they really should have. Yep. But, you know... I- if you're a K-State fan upset about an 11 a.m. kick, it's basically a road game. It really shouldn't matter. I mean, yes, I get that a lot of K-State fans are going to go, but you get it out of the way early. You get it out of the way. That's why I like 11 a.m. games. You get you get to go first, and then you get to watch football the rest of the day. Well, yeah. part of it, too, is, I mean, there was a good chance that if K-State wanted to be on national TV, if this game was going to be in Manhattan, that they would kick off at 11 a.m. anyway. So... I, I don't think that, you know, people whining, you're going to you're gonna play at 11 a.m. anyway. And so what's the difference if you're going to do it in Texas or if you're going to do it in Manhattan? You're supposed to come to Manhattan anyway. Yeah. So quit complaining and get ready to play. <laughs> now, going back to the Joe Castiglione part about how upset he is about Oklahoma, Nebraska being at 11, I get it. That used to be the game in college football. And I'm I'm just going to say it, Nebraska, this is your doing. Twofold. One, you left the conference. You left behind all your traditional rivals. You have no game of superior value just on name anymore. I mean, you've walked away from Oklahoma and Colorado and in some ways Texas to, to try to build false identities with programs like Iowa and Wisconsin. Nobody cares about that, particularly when you're average. That's the other half of this. You're not very good anymore. You probably don't get great ratings. Maybe they do. Maybe I'm I'm just talking out my butt right now, but I, I can't imagine people around the country with what's happened over the last decade with Nebraska football are like, oh, the Huskers are on. It, this isn't 1986. This isn't what we grew up with as an older person, but still you would think Oklahoma, Nebraska would be kind of like, oh, yeah, for nostalgia, you'd want it. But then again, this applies our perception as outsiders that 11 a.m. is a slight. I really don't believe TV executives see it in any way as a slight. I think they look at their numbers and realize 
this draws pretty good numbers. This this is a good time slot. It's just not convenient for the teams and fans, but they don't give a crap. They give no craps about that. They just want ratings. And if putting that game at 11 a.m., hell, if they would have viewership at 9 a.m., they would try to put a game like that in it, something that would really stand alone and, and stand out in the time slot. And that's the other thing. If if you own the rights to this game, you are going to want to look around and say, hey, there's a huge game at 2.30 already on another network. We're going to stay away from that. We want the numbers. I think 2.30 kickoff slots are a slight because you're sandwiched right in the middle. You want prime time, but then I think the second best slot, if you want viewership and you want people on your on your you know, on your on your program, it's it's 11 a.m. But back to David Shaw's complaints, I think that, you know, I think it's silly for him to be upset about a 9 a.m. local kickoff when he's got his players up at seven or before doing weights, doing training, doing two a days. You know, it's it's not that big of a deal for his team. And it's Stanford. It's not that big a deal for your school because they don't care anyway. They're not going to watch at eleven. It's not going to make it any more realistic for the fans to watch. And their but. body, their, you know, their body is going to be adjusted to the time. They're going to be down there a few days before kickoff anyway. It's not like they're yeah. rolling up the day before like they did, in, you know, when they had to have the COVID protocols. I mean, I would assume all that would be gone. Now it is Stanford, so it might look a little bit different. But I mean, you would think that their bodies would be used to the time change at least that's not, i would think that i mean play. the cubs played at san diego last night and that game went until after midnight local or in central time that's not it's not that big of a deal to change time zones at this point but one of my biggest things i do when i bet on nfl is look at uh west coast games going to the east coast because they're starting at 9 a.m you know pacific time so i don't see much of an issue with it i mean k-state and stanford both of those teams didn't make a bowl game last year so you talked about Fitz, the following. Stanford doesn't have that much of a following. Well, the teams aren't that good. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're trying to hype up K-State as best we could, but what is it, three, four games for Stanford to win? So I have I have no real problem with it either. And to the OU point of wanting a primetime game, they could have told the TV execs, put us on ESPN+. Plus. Let us have a pay-per-view. No. They could have done that and said, hey, we'll make more money doing this, but they know that they're not going to make more money mm-hmm. doing that. I think it's just an empty... An empty complaint because they could have said, "Hey, we'll just we're going to play it at six a.m. or six p.m. If you want to put it on TV, be our guest. We don't care where you put it. We're playing this game at six p.m." But they didn't care that much. Nope. Sticking with the Stanford theme, El Camino Cat asks, "Does the Stanford game being an eleven a.m. kick on Fox Sports One hurt the argument that moving the game to Dallas was a good move?" No, the money's the same. I mean, you, you get paid. I mean, maybe their revenue drops overall. You're not going to get above your guarantee very much based on ticket sales and TV revenue. But no, you, you're still guaranteed X amount of dollars that apparently the athletic department felt was in their best interest to collect. And I don't know the budget inside and out, so I'm going to trust them on that, that they wouldn't sell a home game for a few hundred thousand extra dollars. They'd, they'd do it for something substantial. But again, I, I think a layer of this people aren't calculating in is the pushback many of you would have had if the ticket prices came out with an eight-game schedule mm-hmm. you, you would just look at the bottom line how much am i paying for tickets and complain you would you can deny it all you want but people out there would be bitching and moaning for the price of an eight game season ticket and this way it lessens that and the department gets more revenue by selling the game i think competitively it kind of gives you 
you know, a taste. They don't have a non-conference road game this year. So it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to go and travel, even if it's a neutral site. That way, when you go to Oklahoma State for your first Big 12 game, you're not dealing with being on the road for the first time, you know, in, 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 in a year. I think that competitively it makes sense. And I also think that, you know what, let's be real here. There is a good chance that this game, if it was in Manhattan, would have been a 230 kickoff on ESPN+. Plus. I mean, that's just the bottom line. Mm-hmm. And people would complain and complain even more so than now. Not only are you appeasing uh, a fan base that is very alive in Texas because there's lots of K-Staters in the Dallas area, but you're also giving your team an opportunity that probably none of the kids have ever had before going on the road in Texas playing at an NFL stadium. And also you have kids that are going home getting to play in front of their families. So I think it's a win-win not only for the program, but for the team as a whole. I don't think it hurts the argument at all. And I think it probably helps the argument because if the game is going to be at 11 a.m. in Manhattan, you know, everyone's going to complain about that. And I always say that if you're going to play on the road, the best slot's 11. So you got the best slot. I know it's a neutral site, but as far as going to games, you know, I think that 11 a.m. is about as good as it gets when you move it. The last question of the first half from Itam BB: Who will score the first point of the season and how will it be scored? Nigel Pack on a three-pointer. They're not pulling up from three. Oh, um, I would say it'll be Skylar Thompson on a quarterback draw at the goal line. Is that about as safe a bet as you could have? No, Ty Zentner at 34 yards. Yep, that's what I was going to say. But is Ty Zentner going to win the kicking battle? Why wouldn't he? There we go. He's been a punter, not a... Place kicker. It's because Blake Lynch has been doing it. Yeah. But Ty Zentner's done kickoffs. I mean, he's got he's got the boot. So I think that that's my pick. We'll see. Man, he's out there. Jerron McPherson with a pick six on the first drive of the season. He's he's making put it down in Sharpie picks about place kickers at Kansas State. This guy is confident. <laughs> he he just made a defensive pick <laughs> for his. Yeah. No. Okay, well, that's all right. Somebody needs to clip this. <laughs> See who's right. Gills? Hey, trust me, nobody needs to clip anything from this entire first half of this podcast. Hopefully I remember to edit out all the hacking and coughing going on in this studio. Who's so, doing that? <clears throat> me too. We'll be back on the other half, on the other side, whatever, the, the other thing with the thing in the place. We'll be back after this break. GoPowerCat.com's PowerCat Podcast continues after this short break. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back to the Power Cat Podcast. Now, let's return to the GPC Studios. Welcome back to the Power Cat Questions Podcast, sponsored by Fridge Wholesale Liquor. Our segment sponsors are Tanners in the High Low. And once again, make sure you are always supporting Manhattan local businesses because it is part of our culture here in this awesome college town we call Manhappiness. I noticed someone put up Manhappiness somewhere on like official, was it? What did I see that? On the Rally House building Is next door, they put it up. Right. I'm personally not a fan. You're not a fan of that I'm one. not a fan of ha- man happiness. What? I liked man happening. I like that, too. That one was a good one, but then at some point it became man happiness, and I'm just like, What are, what are you uh, against when it comes to being happy, Zach? Um, I'm just, I don't like corniness. Oh. If it's corny. God, that's amazing because you work for me. Yeah, I know. You are pretty corny. <laughs> Crazy, man. More of your questions from Wildbash Station. It was supposed to be Brian Gilbert asking the questions, but he's dying. And, and I don't mean that sarcastically. I think he might cough to death today because it's allergy season here in Manhattan, Kansas. Everyone's complaining about it. Gills is dying from it. So it's been a good run. Gills, we love you. We will bury you under Goolsby's. <laughs> <laughs> Here's Cole. From CCL27, how much of an impact will the new staff members added actually have on recruiting? Oh, these guys are tearing it up. I mean, the number of offers going out right now, you know, now that they have the green light, it's amazing how many offers are going out. Poor Ryan Wallace is drowning right now in information. Um, Drowning. Drowning. I did say that. Mm. Drowning. Drowning. Where did that come from? Drowning uh, in information. That's like past and, I don't know, drowned, drowned, drowning. I don't know. You're not five. (laughs) (laughs) Are you going to ask a question next? Is Cole going to ask a question? So, yeah, it's amazing how much these guys are stirring it up. And I hope it pans out. I hope this isn't just a bunch of offers, you know, like Kansas used to do. We're going to offer everyone five stars, seven stars, nine stars, NFL guys that have no eligibility. We're just going to send out offers. I'm Les Miles. I have a ring. I don't hope, I hope none of that goes on. Because here's something that fans don't really understand. And I'm going to be honest. I don't get it either. There are offers and then there are non-committable offers. Now, figure that one out. It's like, I would like to take you on a date. Oh, let's go. Well, it's not committable. I just want to take you on a date. And maybe later I'll set it up. Most of these offers, if the kid calls back up and says, I want to commit. I got a Kansas State offer. I always wanted to go there. Well, we need you to hold off. Now, some of them, you know, a good number of them are real offers. If the kid wants to commit this early in the process, Kleiman will take that. But out in college football, most offers aren't offers. They're kind of a a propaganda thing. Yeah, you have an offer, but you can't go there. So I also caution you when you see some of these offers on Kansas kids, 
Could a kid from Hayes, Kansas call up Alabama and say, hey, I got an offer. I'm ready to commit. Or would they say, well, we got some other guys we need to hear from first. Yeah, you're offered, but not to do anything right now. It's a weird, weird thing. And I think it. I'd prefer if the NCAA stopped with that. If they said an offer needs to be an agreement to sign a letter of intent, mm-hmm. period. Mm-hmm. Get Get out of this game. It's deceptive practice. It really is. And having gone through, you know, the recruiting process at a much smaller level um, for myself at, you know, more of like the NAI level, I mean, I don't know if there's much comparison, but just knowing how coaches, you know, are, I mean, if if a kid is wanting something out of them right away, well, they're going to have to take their time and go back to the drawing board and say, okay, you know, what do we need? Unless it's, you know, Arch Manning. Right now, if he calls up K-State and says, hey, I want to come to K-State, I'm sure Chris Kleiman would send him an offer right away. Unless you're that type of player, I just I, – I don't know. I I know this is kind of not really what the question is asking, but you're right. I think recruiting is – it's just – right, especially right now. It's just the wild, wild west, no doubt about it. Yep. Um, the next question comes from El Camino Cat. Some high schools have a reputation for producing high-quality collegiate recruits. Who are the two or three best high school football factories in the state of Kansas? Oh, man. This is not a question for me. Got to be Derby, right? Yeah, Derby's got to be up. I love this question. Derby. Olathe North. Lawrence. The Lawrence schools combined. And then. Well, how far back do you want to go is the question. Ten years? Because if you go back ten years, I guess you you could say Derby, but I couldn't tell you, you know, who is. That's, successful collegiately that that's true went to derby that's true i would say wichita northwest is almost more of a, a high school powerhouse than them i mean they had marcus hicks who ended up at oklahoma i believe and that's where um uh Brees hall went to school as well so i mean they've had some success as far as you know collegiate recruits go but i mean if you want to look at in the last you know 25 years I mean, what do you define as that i mean that's a good question yeah I don't know. I think the Kansas City area as a whole, I know that's not really what El Camino Cat is asking, but the Kansas City area as a whole has increased tremendously as far as talent goes in the last 10 years. It's pretty cool. That's a question for Wally, though. I I would come to think. We might have to bring that up to him sometime. Mm-hmm. Um, CCL27 asks, any updates on the indoor practice facility? No, I, I haven't heard anything as of late, but also I've been asking. I mean, I haven't really been around anyone. So um, I, I'm guessing that it's moving forward. I mean, I, I would guess everything's on schedule. They're still trying to sort everything out, but no, there isn't. I'm, I have no great answer to this, but I will check. Okay, easy enough. Email Wildcat82 asks... Axed. Asked? Axed. 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 Okay. It's proper. Why do we end up with the same opponent in the Big East Basketball ah, Challenge geez. each year? Do we not have any say on these picks? Does Willie Wildcat need to start wearing a Rodney Dangerfield tie? Look, I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest here, folks. They scheduled someone different for K State. You okay? Barely. There we go. They scheduled someone different for K State this past year. Butler. And what mm-hmm. happened? We had a worldwide pandemic. Mm-hmm. That's that's what happened. They messed with the formula. So back to Marquette, back to Texas A&M. Who they, have they announced the SEC 
challenge yet? No, but they'll probably get Texas A&M or Ole Miss yeah. or Georgia again. Mm-hmm. Yep. Got to be safe in these perilous times. Don't mess with the mojo. Give K-State the most boring game you possibly can, and all will be right in the world. Least it could do is think of me, Tim Fitzgerald, and schedule them on the road at DePaul so I can go to Chicago for a weekend. That would be fun. But do they think of me, Tim Fitzgerald? No, nobody does. Nobody worries about what's best for Fitz anymore. And that's really where things went south in this world. We stopped thinking about Fitz and a pandemic. There you go. The biggest question I have with this game is, is Shaka Smart going to have hair or is he going to be bald? Oh, my God. (laughs) That's the only thing I like about this game. It's kind of cool that he's coming back. It's weird. We should, like, I wonder if Vegas has a book on this, like a line. (laughs) His hair will be bald, full hair, one inch long. You know what? The length of the hair. If you're Shaka Smart, how are you not having your buddies dump a whole bunch of action on that? He's going to have waves. He's going to be in between. He's going to have waves. He's going to show up in a do-rag. I like it. How would you not? On a prop that's dependent on an action that you can take that isn't related to a game, why not just dump the money? That's like Super Bowl props for me. I know this is completely off topic, but the color of the Gatorade. If I'm a trainer, I'm colluding with the other team, and we're like, hey, what color Gatorade are we putting in? Hey, it looks like orange is plus 2,500. You guys good with orange? Yeah, we're good with orange. We're betting it. Okay, dump it. It's like the dude that streaked on the field and placed a bet on someone streaking. Yeah. <laughs> and he yeah. made money because it outweighed the, the jail cost or whatever. So funny. Yeah. Well, whatever. I'm not streaking. That's the good news. Whew. Dang it. I'm out here. <laughs> Maybe you'll be TikTok famous that way. You're thinking you're coughing now. Wait until <laughs> the streaking happens. <laughs> El Camino Cat asks, The Athletic recently released an early Big 12 basketball projection that ranked the Wildcats ninth. Do you agree with this assessment? At this point in time, what teams do you think we finish in front of? Uh, who was in 10th? Iowa State. Iowa State, 100%. Yeah. I can't make an argument not for them to be in ninth. I, you know, I, I do I think they'll be a ninth? Maybe not. But if you're a guy at the athletic and you're looking at this from above and you're not really invested in this, uh, guys, I, I didn't find that list anything more than, hey, what happened last season? That'll probably happen this season. I mean, is, you know, <laughs> I mean, and of course, they slid KU back to the top because Baylor lost some players. I get it. And, and then everything else was kind of. Chalk. I didn't see anything. I mean, maybe it's a little surprised how high Oklahoma State was because he actually had him higher, I think, than what they finished last year with Cade Cunningham. Right? Didn't they finish like six or they mm. came on strong? But I, I'm not too worried. I don't get worried about K State being projected by a guy to finish ninth in the conference. I mean, that's, that's what K State's earned at this point. They, he really kind of nailed what a lot of us think. Uh, they didn't improve themselves through the transfer portal as much as other programs did. I know K-Staters feel good about the transfer portal, and I think they improved themselves. But how much? I don't know, man, compared to what others are doing. I mean, others have added significant pieces. You, you look at Oklahoma. They're bringing in some dudes. Man, and that guy's as exciting as toast. I mean, he's just, I don't know, some, something about Porter Moser just... I like the way his teams play. I think he's just kind of unnerving. 
I don't know. Something about them bugs the hell out of me. I think K-State can finish over Iowa State, which they're projected in this article, obviously. I also think that you can make an argument that they were better than TCU last year. I agree. They beat them twice. So, yeah, I would say that I project them to finish over TCU. And then, you know, you start looking in the rankings and, you know, we talk about how crazy the Big 12 is every year. I mean, we have no idea how good Texas is going to be. We have no idea. I understand that Chris Beard is there and great, but it's Texas, right? I mean, we've seen this story before. We have no idea how good Texas Tech is going to be without Chris Beard. And you have no idea how good Oklahoma is going to be. So I'm not confident to say that K-State's going to be better than all those teams that I just mentioned, especially because I don't think that, you know, you mentioned it. How much better did they actually get? You know, we, we don't really know, but... I mean, there's a there's an opportunity there for K State to take a major leap forward next year. I feel comfortable guaranteeing at least eighth, and then when you mention all those teams, OU, Texas, you know, whoever else, kind of Oklahoma State, even, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like one of those teams would perform much well under expectations, and I think K State probably has a chance at seventh in that case. But I think that seven's probably about the ceiling for what I would think that they're capable of but i think that eighth is probably about as safe as i'd i'd guarantee k-state didn't lose anything valuable to its program last year i mean dejuan gordon people i saw on the boards were upset that he left i mean he didn't give a crap about k-state i mean he is a great he's a great talent sure but antonio gordon had his issues he was a negative on the team so k-state didn't lose anything in my mind everything is going to be better moving forward they'll have a good offseason no pandemic to to interrupt them. They'll get to form together. I think K-State definitely is over Iowa State, definitely over TCU. Oklahoma, I think, you know, will have K-State, but Texas Tech without Chris Beard. I mean, he took a good amount of his players with him to Texas. So I think sixth, maybe seventh at the worst. But I am I am confident this team is, is going to shock some people. And you look at the way they played against Baylor that last game of the season, the national champions, they played them better than Gonzaga played them for – for crying out loud. So I'm, I'm confident, you know, K-State's, they're going to be in good hands. I'm, I'm a believer in that. Uh, C.J. Moore did the article, and I'm, <clears throat> I greatly respect him. And uh, I agree with what he said for the most part, except I think he overvalued Dejuan in that story. He said that's a big loss. I, I'm with Look, you. statistically it might be, but I just kind of feel like someone had to do the things he did and that, you know, Smith or someone will step into that and pick those numbers back up. Um, I mean, Ahmad Wainwright could do what he did yeah, last year. Right. You're, that's a great point. Um, and he was a better shooter. <laughs> I picked it up. That joke never, never gets old. And even if it pisses people off, I don't care. <laughs> Ryan, I have something to tell you. Let me okay. tell you something, my friend. Hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. Okay. Oh, did are we in a movie right now? Do you know? Are you Morgan from? Freeman? <laughs> okay, I was just making sure you knew it. Did that you was. Morgan Freeman us there from, <laughs> from Shawshank? You've never seen Shawshank, have you? No, nope. of course he hasn't. God. He hasn't seen anything. That's it for the Parakeet Podcast. We're never coming back. Bye. <laughs> um, hope is a dangerous thing, but hope is all we got at Kansas State. Fair enough. Um, if you want to continue this theme of hope. El Camino Cat asks once again, do you think we will have a new university president hired by the start of the next of the start of the fall semester? If not, do you anticipate we will have an interim president for next year's spring semester? Meyer said he will remain through the end of the calendar year. Would they do a full transition 
if the new president is not ready here for the fall in the middle of the academic year? No, I don't think so. I think they'll do an interim for a few months. Expecting the Board of Regents to get their crap together that quickly is too much to ask. Yeah. We're talking like two months, basically, for them to do a whole search. That's unrealistic, I think. Yeah. I mean... I think I think December's a good time to think that they might announce something, but for them to take over in January might be a little unrealistic. But how many real candidates are there? I mean, they have... They've had to have been thinking about this for at least a year or two, you know? <laughs> no, they haven't. No, they haven't. Myers wasn't going to be here forever. We all knew that. The yeah, Board of Regents <laughs> has just kicked this can down the road so far that they can't mm. even see the damn can anymore. They don't know where they're at. So, um, and they're going to turn it over to a search committee, which I don't think they've even put together um, or started. I, my phone hasn't rang. I'm ready. I'm ready to be on the search committee, folks. I don't know where to search for a president. But we'll have great tacos and burgers at the meetings. I know where to find that. Look, I, this is a huge hire. Don't rush it. Have an interim for six months. Have just, folks, the university's been running on self-control. What's that called? Autopilot. Thank you, Zach. <laughs> yeah. Cruise control. Cruise for, control. For a while. I mean, it just has. It just... It, they they got to get this right. They have to get this right. Yeah, I I think it's weird that he's staying until the end of the calendar year because, like we've said, we can't really imagine them installing a new president, a full president, in the middle of an academic year. But it's also weird to have an interim for a few months between. And who do they install as the interim president? Because it's weird to go from interim to interim presidents i hope this it's isn't a dumb interim. question I, I i get yes i get that they did they took away the interim title for right. president myers but why doesn't he just stay a whole year at this point the poor or guy, leave now the poor guy wants to retire mm -hmm. but like why in the middle of the academic year is he going to step away so that you can have an interim for six months or three months instead of a full year i think because mm -hmm. you okay, yeah. usually give a, a year's notice for these things if you're retiring from a position like that it's not like two weeks. I, I don't know. How many more questions do we have in this segment? This was it. This was this it? is it for the podcast. Okay. Well, it's not it for the podcast because I've got something on this topic. So I've, I went on a substantial rant um, in past weeks about kind of tailoring your offering as an academic institution better for the market. And I mentioned our, our shared career. Gills, I guess you're the only one here that shares it. <laughs> Suck it, Colin's out. Business and education and dogs. Not much difference. Um, of where are journalism schools going? And I recently had lunch with some people I greatly respect and found out that much of the stuff I discussed was tailoring, kind of narrowing the focus of the department, tailoring it to the modern marketplace has been proposed and is not going anywhere through the administration. So I, I'm going to say that I think the president probably has a lot of things on their their table that they don't even know they're walking into. You have to modernize deans. You, you, you have to get people that aren't glorified instructors in an administrative role. It, it's 
it's not how it works. It, I know that's how the hierarchy works, that I'm a great teacher, and now I moved up to an assistant dean, and now I'm a dean. What the hell does having a dean have anything to do with being a good instructor? Those are two different skill sets. And, and you really have to have visionary people. And, and I, I think what makes you a good instructor many times means you wouldn't be visionary across an entire college, particularly arts and sciences. I understand that a dean of engineering might understand all of engineering and a dean of business might understand all of business. But all the things in arts and sciences, mm-hmm. it would be hard to find a dean that could master the needs of all. Journalism is a place unlike a hard science or geology where the type of education you get must evolve because the market evolves and the market is unknowingly nimble. It will go in directions you never saw. I've said it over and over. I knew my entire industry was changed the day I watched live highlights of the Boston marathon bombing on Twitter. A good 30 minutes before the networks we've always relied on for news and we can no longer rely on, even mentioned it was going on. Not say we're hearing reports. All they had to do was click on Twitter and they would see at least two different feeds being retweeted across the world of people who had filmed the explosions. That's when I knew everything was changing. Journalism requires constant evolution in what you're offering. Like, Zach, they told me one of the things that they're really delving into a lot now is analytics. Well, that would that's unheard of when I was in college. We didn't need analytics. You looked at your subscription numbers. Slide Journal's got 30,000 subscribers. That's you know, a decent-sized paper for the state of Kansas. That's all you needed. And radio and TV had Nielsen. That's, what you, that's all you needed. Mm-hmm. But now everything's changed. Everything is multi-platform, digital. You know, it's not just about how many people read your story, which it used to be, Zach. Where do they stop reading it? We can, we can track all of that. How far down do they get? Folks, you don't go very far. <laughs> and I, don't, I probably don't either. I mean, it's just most of the time we're on the Internet, we're just browsing. And we want something that tickles our interest and really kind of grabs us and brings us in. Folks, why do you think there's so much clickbait? It's you, not them. Uh, so being unable to quickly evolve within the course of a year and say we need to order – offer these classes in the fall and have an administration that's non-responsive, it's a problem. It's troublesome. This is an enormous hire because the person coming in has to understand that um, the entire realm of higher education is about to greatly shift. Now, we're seeing Fort Hayes go cheap. And it's worked for a while, but eventually I think it'll come back around because there's going to be ramifications to that. If you, if you don't have the income coming in from sales, and now I'm talking about business, but in this case it's an academic institution, you're not going to offer, be able to offer professors the kind of pay raises they need to stay. So eventually it cycles through and you get haunted by it. But you need to be nimble, and maybe they can just turn around and reinvent themselves later. 
I don't know. This is enormous for Kansas State, and I, I hope journalism survives. Um, they're trying. They have some really good minds in there that want to fix things, but we'll see. And, Gills, we talked about you. These people actually like you, hmm. even though you were late to the game. Who? I'm not mentioning them. Who? I'm not calling them out right now. What the heck? You have hope that they'll get it right? I think they're, from what they propose, they're getting it right. Well, you know but, what they say. But that's not anywhere in the curriculum right now because it hasn't been approved by higher up. You know what they say. Hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things. Oh and no good thing ever dies. We've been Shawshanked right out of this damn podcast. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Powercat Questions podcast. For Morgan Freeman, <laughs> I'm Fitz. We'll talk to you on Friday with the overtime. Thank you for listening to the PowerCat Podcast. Make sure you're subscribing to our show at Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. PowerCat Podcast. All rights reserved. GoPowerCat.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.